Morena, thank you, Chris, for that wonderful introduction. So, this morning uh, we're continuing, this is our second in the series of uh, Renew Together, and um, this morning I'm going to be talking about made in God's image, ordinary Christians living ordinary lives with ordinary faith, and we'll see what that all is about. So, let's just uh, start a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that we can come together this morning, we can uh, sing praises to your name, we can pray in your name, and we can hear your word in your name. And I pray, Father, the words that are said this morning, um, that they would speak to our hearts your message uh, that will apply to each one of us, Father. So, Lord, we thank you for this time and just commit these moments to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, everyone has someone in their life that they look up to. Now, I know that Alan Curry looks up to me, and I'm sure there are other people that might even do that too. So, maybe you might look up to people like Sir Edmund Hillary, uh, Richie McCaw, although after last night's rugby, it'd be uh, Richie Moanga, uh, Ruby Tui, maybe even Jacinda Ardern. People who have made an impact on our world or on our society. Or maybe you look up to people like the late Charles Stanley, uh, Dr. Billy Graham, Joyce Meyer, James Dobson, or even Rick Warren. Uh, some of these people that are doing big things for God. And you think to yourself, if only I had faith like them. So the landscape of the modern evangelical church is riddled with interesting ideas of faith. And one of those most prevalent is the idea of extraordinary faith. And if you've grown up in the church, you'll know what I'm referring to. The Christian faith has been adorned with adjectives like radical faith, passionate faith, epic, impactful, or visionary. And if you go to Christian conferences or read Christian books, they abound or you're bombarded with the idea that the only way to be truly Christian is to live extraordinarily, to do something big for God. Forever waiting for or wanting the next great day, that next the day of revival or the next big thing. And we elevate those who have the, these impressive testimonies as the, the poster children of our faith. And if we're honest with ourselves, until we achieve that level of impact, we often feel that we're like a, a second 15, or not the first 15, but the second 15 rugby team. We're, we're sort of second-class Christians to some extent. Right, this morning, we also are going to be um, basing the, the, the talk this morning on the same passage as last time, which is Matthew, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So, we'll read this together. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Christians are supposed to, to impact the world in which we live. Just like the disciples in, in Acts chapter 17 
modern-day Christians are meant to turn the world upside down. However, when we think about turning the world upside down for Jesus, we often think that that means we have to live radical lives. That is, we need to give away our Nissan Leaf or sell our Volkswagen, uh, give up the movie, give up going to movies or restaurants, um, or maybe it means we have to relocate to a Bolivian jungle in order to engage nomadic peoples who have never heard the gospel before. And that is the only real way we make a serious impact. It sounds like hard work being a follower of Jesus. Now, when I was a younger Christian, I listened to many missionaries coming back, and like many of you will have listened to missionaries coming back to New Zealand and telling us about their, their journey across to the other side of the world, uh, to their, uh, the adventures that they had, the, the difficulties that they had while they were away. And I must admit, I was really moved by many of these testimonies. And then they would give this uh, impassioned plea that young people would join them on the mission field. And I sat back with a sense of relief because I was a salesman and you never heard them asking for salesmen on the mission field. Ask for doctors, nurses, engineers and teachers, but not salesmen. So we're just going to play a little excerpt here which sort of backs up this idea. It's a bit grainy, it's quite an old one, but hopefully you'll get the message. Natives are restless at night. 
Well, uh, God didn't send me to Africa. Uh, however, many years later, God did send our family to Indonesia. Uh, I went as a teacher of English as a second language. Brahman was a supervisor for our children during correspondence school. And uh, we lived a number of years uh, in Indonesia, uh, living our faith and sharing our lives amongst Muslim students over there. So God can use even a salesman in his work around the world. The Bible gives us those well-known big-picture commands, the meta-commands between when Jesus is from his resurrection to when he comes again. Go and make disciples of all nations. The Great Commission tells us the what, but doesn't give us a lot of information or instructions on the how. And at the beginning, let, let us be clear about this Great Commission. It cannot be outsourced to professionals. It's not that we invite non-believers to our church services and then expect the, our professional, our pastors or whoever, to do the rest of the work and bring them to, to Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are his witnesses, and the commission applies to you and me. So how do we do the Great Commission in our daily lives? How does this look in our homes, in our office, in our factory, in our unemployment situation, in our retirement village, in the church? Can normal people living normal lives do all of this? So what is our mission? We need to keep reminding ourselves. Jesus tells us to make disciples of all different peoples and all different places. And the instruction is repeated in a number of the New Testament passages, particularly the Gospels. Jesus says, make disciples, not converts to Christianity, not a membership of a church or a denomination, not following some particular charismatic, gifted pastor or leader. Jesus wants people to be his disciples or his apprentices. And this is a lifestyle change. It's a heart change. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's transformational and it matters. Jesus took a bunch of ordinary people and made them into his disciples. They were simply disciples. They were not leaders, priests, or any other title. And this is all we should ever want to be, Jesus' disciples. Because to Jesus, that is the only title and job description that matters. In fact, the entire book of Acts is a narrative of story after story of how God uses ordinary people to shape the world. And the established leaders in those days were stunned at the boldness of these untrained, unqualified, and ordinary men of Peter and John. Their only explanation for what they saw was that their time with Jesus had completely transformed them. However, why is it that we find it so difficult to talk about Jesus in our particular context, at work or at home or wherever it is? I came across interesting figures the other day. Apparently, less than 5% of Christians share the gospel with one person per year. 76% of Christians do not even know the mission of the church. And we often use excuses for not sharing our faith is that we don't have the gifting, we don't have the ability, the training, or we don't have the time. There are times 
when we feel so ill-equipped for the task that we're often a no-show. Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I will be with you always until the end of the age. And when we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, All power will be given you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So we have... Go. Doesn't want to go. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We have the... Look at that, I can do it without pushing a button. We have the authority, we have the presence, and we have the power of Jesus to help us in being his witnesses. And that's all we need, plus our obedience. We're not doing the work alone. God is with us. God is working through us. And I came across a very insightful uh, quote a wee while ago. It says, Most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. It involves ordinary Christians, not just super-Christians, who live on mission in the rhythms of everyday life. And I like that last part, the rhythms of everyday life. And when we use this word ordinary, we don't mean unimpressive, mediocre, secondary. It takes courage and resolve to live life and like an ordinary, as a sorry to live an ordinary Christian life. Ordinary people living ordinary lives, living within their neighborhood, may need to be counterculture, counterintuitive, and they will need to be intentional. You may still face rejection and ridicule, and maybe at some stage persecution. Ordinary Christians live within their dominant culture. However, like Daniel. In Babylon, we don't compromise our fundamental identity as a person of God, nor do we withdraw from or stand over in judgment of the culture. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul addresses a group of Christians that he loves. He's just received a very encouraging report from them, and he sends them a letter to address some of their specific concerns. Many of those concerns are related to daily life. So this is a mature church, Christians who have embraced the gospel with enthusiasm, growing in maturity, growing in strength. And when Paul tells them how to live a satisfying, God-honoring, Great Commission-fulfilling life, he writes about the things that seem rather mundane, sexual purity, love between believers, and persistence in all of life. It is Paul's final command in this passage that jumps out at me. Paul tells them, aspire to live quietly and to mind your affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. We might be expecting him to say, sell everything you own, move to the most difficult of mission fields, give up your life for the gospel's sake, that is Christian living. But he does not. He tells them to live a quiet and unremarkable life, to be content to be unnoticed, avoid meddling in other people's affairs, and to settle into a life of hard work. To do this is to honour God. And in Romans 12, verse 1, he says it again in the message version in a slightly different way. So here is what I want you to do, God helping you. 
take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, place it before God as an offering, embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. The incarnation of Jesus is profoundly ordinary. Although the virgin birth was nothing short of a direct and miraculous intervention in history, yet Christ assumed his humanity from Mary in an ordinary way, through an ordinary, not easy, but ordinary nine-month pregnancy. He was born in a barn, started as a refugee, raised in a town with a bad reputation, and didn't begin his public ministry until he was in his 30s. He certainly wouldn't fit the mold of the the motivated young church planters or TV evangelists. The opportunity to glorify God with our ordinary lives is good news. Jesus meets us in the ordinary parts of life when we're tired and overwhelmed. He doesn't revitalize us by giving fresh revelations or radical visions of what life could be, but by teaching us to see the mundane as holy ground as a table he is content to dine with us at and what the church needs is permission to be ordinary Christ is calling Christians to simply care about what God cares about loving your neighbor being hospitable caring for the vulnerable giving voice to the voiceless and God-centered humility ordinary Christians who are practicing compelling acts of justice and mercy. Ordinary Christians being aware of the burdens of others and to help make them lighter, bearing the burdens of others or bearing the hurts of others or bearing the loneliness of others. As Martin Luther said, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbour does. Not just as individual Christians but with the church, and when I say with the church, I don't mean the structure, this building, this, the institutional church. We are the church. And we need to encourage each other in our daily lives. We need to pray for each other. We need to know what the different people are doing in here, what they work at and what are their struggles and what are their, the difficulties in the coming week. So we need to pray and encourage and be part of a community together. We are called to live out our Christian life in community. Go into the entire world. Who was Jesus talking to? Ordinary, Christ, ordinary people who knew him personally. The disciples had no toolbox that they could reach into and pull out the right tool to do a miracle. They had no halos and no, they wore no uniforms. They hadn't gone to Bible school, but until the Holy, and not until the Holy Spirit had come upon them did they have any power. Want to know what they looked like? Look in the mirror. They were people like us. They were sinful, unsophisticated, fearful, and uncertain what to do next. They were ordinary. You don't have to move to the other side of the world in order to live for Jesus. But that might be what Jesus calls you to do with your life. Or Jesus might simply call you to invite the single mum from across the road over for a meal. Jesus might call you to sit down next to the person at work and listen to their story. Jesus might call you to walk alongside someone on the fringe of Opawa Baptist, someone who comes from a very different lifestyle than yours. 
In other words, living radically for Jesus might not look that radical at all. You might never be recognized for your ordinary Christian life, but that's okay. The ordinary Christian life is about the uplifting of God's name, not yours. And as ordinary Christians, it's not about being insular in our life either. Ordinary Christians take an interest in the world because God loves the world too. And we've been talking a bit about, with this Renew Together, about the Bengali people uh, in Tripura, and this morning we've been focusing a little bit on Bangladesh. And so I've just got a short little article here I'll read out to you in relating to Bangladesh. So as as Rod mentioned last Sunday, I think it was, for 137 years we've had a relationship with the Bengali people. We've been deeply involved in church planting and discipleship, medical, educational, theological training and humanitarian work. The Bengali people make up the largest unreached people group in the world. There are in excess of 279 Bengalis with less than 1% being Christian. This people group are amongst the very poorest of the world. We work with some of the poorest Bengalis in West Bengal, which is in India, and Bangladesh. Bengali Christians are, are among the most persecuted peoples in the world. We, uh, by the, and they're persecuted by the dominant Hindu groupings of India and by the Muslim groupings of Bangladesh. And as you will have seen in the, in the video, the leaders of the Bing, Bangladesh church are very clear in continuing to, uh, continuing to ask us to see New Zealanders and to support the work of the churches, schools, hospitals and the student hostels. As Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send workers out into the harvest field. And we have a, there's a young couple that had spoken at our church uh, a few years ago that we support to some extent and that's Joel and Lizzie. And of course they're not in Bangladesh, they're in India but again working with Bengali people at the loyal workshop. And these are just two ordinary people that have ended up serving God overseas. And I just want to read you again a couple of paragraphs about uh, Lizzie and Joel. When Lizzie was nine years old, she sensed God stirring her spirit for the injustices of the world. She had heard about Freeset and was intrigued by the beautiful colors, colors, stories and faces she saw in photos. Lizzie followed her curiosity to find out more about this place, visiting as a young teen and falling in love with the people and place. Joel and Lizzie met there. And sorry, the neighborhood where they live is the city's second largest red light area with a long history of gang violence. Along the tram line that borders the red light area, you can hear shouts from the wholesale market, wooden rickshaw wheels hitting the steel tracks, taxi horns and buses jostling to pick up passengers on the side of the road. People come and people go through this place And those who stay are most often those who have either lived here for generations or those who are unable to leave. Simply put, the neighbourhood is complex and even still, through layers of individual and communal oppression and trauma, people press on to see a new day. We don't always understand this place's intricacies and yet we are thankful that we follow a God who absolutely does without exception or judgement. This neighbourhood is his. It always has been and will be. And at Loyal, we're just stoked to be a small part of the kingdom renewal here. We dream of the day where the inherent God-given beauty of this community 
and its people overcomes the complexity and pain and we hold steadfast to the kingdom promise that this will indeed one day happen. For now, our whanau absolutely loves being part of the loyal workshop crew and we cannot believe that our life here began over seven years ago as fresh-faced 20-somethings. The loyal crew has stood beside us through many different seasons of life, from pre-marriage and now in the thick of parenthood. Over the years, our day-to-day -day involvement at Loyal has taken different forms. Joel's role is leading Loyal's sales and marketing, and Lizzie's role is leading the social support team. Our roles help root us in the realities and relationships of workshop life, in the wider neighbourhood, and with loyal supporters around the world, particularly Aotearoa New Zealand. We count all of this as a privilege. It's always good to hear a little bit more about people that are overseas that we are supporting and might encourage each one of us. So Jesus' great commission calls us, without apology, to connect people with Jesus, which is the innermost meaning of disciple. Jesus calls us all to be involved, God has crafted each one of us uniquely. There is no one else like you or me. We each have a unique set of skills, abilities, experiences, and passions. He has made each one of us to enjoy a unique relationship with him and to make our unique contribution in God's kingdom. You have been carefully handcrafted and you are needed. God uses ordinary people both here and around the world to fulfill his mission. That's real hope, grounded hope, when it gets to work. And to finish our time this morning, we're going to remain seated and we're going to listen to a song. Um, it was a song back in the 1970s. Uh, it's called Just Ordinary People. And then after the, uh, that's finished, I'll do the benediction.
stand and I'll just finish, close with the benediction. Don't forget we've got the shared meal out in the foyer after the service and at the end of the benediction I'll just uh, give thanks for our food so that we won't be held up. <laughs> so may the love of Christ be active in your heart, be heard in your words, be seen in your actions and inform your choices today and all days. And Lord we thank you for the food we are about to share and partake in, and we also thank you for the conversations that we will have. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you.